0: Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Please remain standing. As we look at Matthew chapter 1 this evening, we'll be looking at particularly verses 18 through the end of the chapter, that is 18 through 25. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen, brothers and sisters. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. O Father, how we do ask that you would help us even as we are all thinking about the incarnation of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, to consider the reason why he came, to understand this fully, that our hearts might be lifted up in love to you that we might worship and adore you as you so deserve. For truly, Lord, as the scriptures teach, we could not be saved unless you sent your Son to earth for us. So, Lord, open up our eyes to the glory of these things, for we ask all of it in the name of, of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is very true, of course, around this time of the year that many are thinking about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many are thinking about it, even uh, very many are thinking about it who do not believe in Christ. Many who may even be opposed to the gospel in various ways, they'll still think about uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he was, in fact, born 2,000 years ago. But this leads to, and it should lead to, hopefully, a more important question, and that is this. Why is it that the Lord Jesus Christ did in fact come? What is the significance that Christ was born over 2,000 years ago? There are many people who will be singing lots of songs about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the problem is that many people will be singing these songs and it will never enter their mind the reason why all of these things are significant. Why is it significant that Christ was born? Why is it significant that he was born of a virgin, that he was born of the Virgin Mary? Well, we are told this in Matthew chapter 1, what the significance is. One of the ways that Matthew does this is he does this by giving the Lord Jesus two names. There are two recorded names that are given. Of course, there's a name that we know him by, Jesus, and that tells us something about why Jesus came to this earth. He came that he might save his people from their sins. When we think about uh, the Lord Jesus' name, when we think about Jesus, when we when we consider that particular name, that's that's what we are saying. Uh, the significance of his person is that he is the one who saves us from our sins and that there is no other who can save us from our sins. And this then also, the reason why he's able to do this and why he alone is able to do this is because of the second name which Matthew records is given to Jesus, and that is the name Emmanuel. He is called Emmanuel because he is in fact God. He is God with us. Now, if he is in fact God, then him being God must govern our understanding of what he comes to do. It is not sufficient for us to just think, you know, we, we, we think Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he's come, and then not to consider the implications for his coming. If it is true that the Incarnation means that God has come to earth, then this means that his mission must be something that only God could do, that only God can do. And the mission that Matthew says that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to fulfill is this, that Christ has come to save his people from their sins. Now, we're going to look at this passage just under two headings. We're just going to consider these two names which were given uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ very briefly this evening. And we'll actually take them in reverse order. So we'll look first at the name Emmanuel that's given, which tells us who Jesus is, and then we'll look then at the name Jesus, which tells us what the Lord Jesus Christ has come to do. And again, the, the purpose of these two names is to say this. Jesus does what he does because he is who he is. He does what he does because he is who he is. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then that means he must also have a mission that is worthy of God and that only God could accomplish. If there was some other way that we could be saved from our sins, it would have happened in that way. The fact that God became man makes it clear there was no other possible way for us to be saved from our sins. There's a connection between the fact that Jesus is God and that he came to save us from our sins. Now, the the fact that Jesus is in fact God is established in verse 23, where we do read that uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ of the Virgin Mary happened as a fulfillment of prophecy. Particularly, a fulfillment of prophecy that was given in Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen. If you remember the context, uh, this was a, a sign that was given to the house of Ahab, of Ahaz, excuse me, the house of Ahaz, and Ahaz was an unfaithful king. He was one of the wicked kings of the southern kingdom. And during this time, there were enemies that were that were uh, surrounding the people of God in the southern kingdom. There was the, there were the Syrians to the north, and they had. Allied themselves with the Israelites also to the north of of Judah, and they were uh, trying to to attack and destroy the southern kingdom. And so Isaiah tells Ahaz to ask for a sign that God would give to Ahaz so that he could know in his own day that uh, the southern kingdom would not be destroyed. Ahaz says he's not going to ask for a sign. He tries to play this off as if this is some godly thing to do, though a prophet had just told him that he needed to do this. And Isaiah says, if you won't ask for a sign, God will in fact give you one anyway. And this is where we get the very famous line, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That is then the the prophecy that's given in chapter 7, verse 14 of the book of Isaiah. This then begins a, a number of prophecies, uh, in the book of Isaiah, beginning with, with chapter 7, going all the way through chapter 11, that uh, expand on this promise of a son, a child that would be born. So you remember the, the very famous uh, chapter 9, For unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born, and he shall be called. And there are a number of, of things that, that, titles that are given to the Lord Jesus Christ, this coming Messiah. And one of them is the Almighty God, the Almighty God. So in chapter 7, verse 14 of Isaiah, we are told that this one who is born of a virgin, he will be God. He will be called God with us. Then, then later on in chapter 9, Isaiah, giving us more detail about this child, will then say that he is in fact called the Almighty God. And so when we think about uh, Christ being the Emmanuel God with us, what's the sense in which he's called God? It is the highest sense possible. It is that he is fully equal to God in every way. And it's not just the, the case that, that uh, he is declared to be this. It's, the, it's also the case that the way in which Jesus was born proves that he is, in fact, the Son of God. This is the point that Matthew makes with regard to the virgin birth. It's also the point that, uh, that Luke makes in Luke chapter 1, as uh, Luke records uh, the, the coming of Gabriel and the significance. What, what will it mean that you will be able to give birth without, uh, uh, as a virgin? What will it mean? And the angel Gabriel says it will mean that the thing born in you, the one born, is in fact the Son of God. He will be called the Son of the Most High because he is in fact born of a virgin. He will be conceived by the Holy Spirit and therefore he will be the Son of God. It also means that this one who is born will not in any way be subject to Adam's sin. He, he will not be subject to Adam's sin because he did not uh, come by normal generation. He's not a descendant of Adam in the, in the same way as others. The sin, in, in this sense, was passed on through uh, the man. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, not being produced by ordinary generation then, will be free from Adam's first sin. And so these are the two things that were necessary for us to be saved. Uh, there had to be one who was a man like us, born in the likeness of sinful flesh, and yet without sin, who also was fully God. Who also was fully God. And w- the point that Matthew is making is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact God with us. He is God with us. And because he is God with us, therefore he is able to save us from our sins. What is the purpose? What is the purpose of God becoming man? It is that we might be saved from our sins. Now, uh, one of the things this implies then is that there is a great necessity for you to be saved from your sins. It implies that sin is actually quite a great problem for you and that the only way to, that for you to be saved from this problem is through the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the uh, medieval fathers in the 11th century, Anselm, wrote a book about why, why did God become man. He's seeking to answer this question, why did God become man? Now, you would think, based on the title of this book, that it would be a book about the incarnation in terms of maybe the two natures of, uh, of Christ, that he was fully God and fully man, but it actually is not about that at all. It's actually about... The atonement, it's a death of Christ. Because the thing that Anselm was recognizing was, uh, if God did in fact become man, it had to be to fulfill a purpose that only God could accomplish as man. And the thing that he is trying to show is that the death of Christ was necessary for the salvation of his people. And it was absolutely necessary that the one who died be fully God and fully man. That's the thing that Anselm is trying to show. And this then is the reason. Why is it that God became man? To save his people from his sins by dying a death that nobody else, nobody else could die. The only one who could give his life in such a way that sins could be atoned for. And brothers and sisters, again, the implication of this is is this. Uh, If it is in fact true that Christ has come to die for sins, to save sinners then there could be no other way to be saved. There could be no other way to be saved. Now, uh, in order to understand the the full significance of Christ's death to save us from our sins, we have to keep in mind uh, the the problem that Christ comes to save us from, and that is sin itself. Uh, It is a problem in every age. In every age, there are those who will say, very many who will say, uh, just unwilling to look at their sins, they will say, I am good. I have no need of a Savior. All other religions are like this, try to deflect all kinds of evil in the world or something that went wrong in creation or because matter is inherently evil. It can't be. It can't be because we as humanity have actually sinned against God. It can't be that we have sinned. It, it, there must have been something wrong that happened at the beginning, perhaps even with God himself or perhaps even the, the natural limitations of matter, but it cannot be that we have sinned. In every age, there are those uh, who will say that they are good, that they are good and that they have no need of a savior but the testimony of god is is the opposite not only are you a sinner but your sin is so bad that the only way that you could be saved is if god became man anything less than that would be insufficient to save you from your sins now interestingly many people who uh, claim that they are good themselves today will do it a little bit differently than probably in past generations in past generations people would say you know i'm good if you look at my life, it's generally moral. I, I abide by these recognized principles of morality. Uh, today, it's quite different because all those principles of morality are being overturned, and they're being overturned by those who are still claiming very strongly that they are in the right. So, all the the, the what used to be considered basic kind of morals or ethics, all of those kinds of, of standards are being overturned, and yet the people who are overturning them are still saying that they are in fact uh, in the right. And so, what is happening is is that today people are claiming to be good because they are claiming that they can establish a morality that is true for them because it's in some ways true to them. It's true to who they truly are on the inside. And the, the way this works today is people are saying, you know, as long as I am true to myself, as long as I am true to myself, then I know that I am righteous. That is the way people are, are thinking today. Now, brothers and sisters, not only is this, in in, an inadequate way to view righteousness. But the Bible actually describes this as the height of evil, is actually the height of wickedness for you to try to establish a morality yourself and to claim that you are right because you are true to your inner being. Uh, That is essentially a sophisticated way of saying in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The the idea of doing what is right in your own eyes, doing something because it appears to be right to me, is exactly what the Bible describes as being the absolute lowest position of morality. And so ironically, those who claim most strongly today that they are in the right, they will very quickly condemn the scriptures, they will condemn the church, they will condemn Christians for their positions on various things, that, that this is actually exactly what the Bible describes as being the most evil. And, and if you think, you know, what, what would be the problem with us just you know, trying to be true to ourselves? It's a you know, very common way of thinking today. If, if, as long as I'm true to myself, what I think on the inside, who I truly am on the inside, as long as I'm true to that, then I know I will be doing the right thing. The problem is, is that the Bible says that the heart, the inner self, is in fact desperately wicked and it's deceitful. So if you were to say, you're, I'm just going to follow my heart wherever it leads me. The problem is that the Bible is saying that you will only be following a great deception because the heart is in fact deceitful. What makes you think that following simply you, the inner thoughts of your heart, that that will in fact lead you to righteousness? Why is, why is that, that inner voice, so to speak, or that, that inner identity that you're trying to bring out, why is that? more real than the reality that's around you and the answer is is it's not the scriptures say that it is in fact uh, it is a great deceiver so certainly there is no way to justify ourselves here there's no way to justify ourselves by saying I'm doing what I believe to be right the question is are you acting in a way that is consistent with the standard that God as the king of the universe and the only lawgiver are you acting in accordance with that standard And when we look into that standard, brothers and sisters, we will see that every single person has sinned and sinned greatly. There are many ways in which this can be established. The fact that all people die means everyone has sinned greatly and that God has already pronounced a judicial sentence against us. But even beyond that, the way in which God chose to save man proves even more than that the true extent of human sinfulness. If any, if any other possible method of salvation was possible, it would have been given. And that, and that was something we'll show in just a, a few moments. If there was any other possible way, it would have been done. The true extent of your sinfulness is seen in the fact that it requires the Son of God to die on the cross in order for you to be saved. And so that's, this is what he, in fact, came to do. Even though there was only one possible solution, God did, in fact, grant it. And he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die. When Matthew speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to save his people from their sins, he's not just saying he comes to save them from their sins in any way. He's coming to save his people from their sins by dying. And he's saying this is the only possible way of salvation. And so the reason why this is the case, the reason why this is the only possible way is because Christ, the one who died, had to be man, and he had to be God. We'll we'll look at the reasons why uh, this, in fact, had to be the case. First, the Lord Jesus Christ had to be man. Whoever it is that is going to atone for the sins of the the people of God in order to save them from their sins had to be man because he had to die. The penalty of sin is death, and there had been many sins that had been committed. And therefore, all of those who uh, have committed sins, in some way, in order for God's justice to be satisfied, in some way, there has to be a death that's died. And therefore... The person who dies has to be a man who can represent other people on their behalf. He has to be a true man so that he can, in fact, die. But then secondly, this person has to be God. He has to be fully God. The problem is, and this is something that we see in the prophets in various places, Ezekiel points this out. You know, Ezekiel, right as the people of God are about to be judged, he says, you know, if Daniel and Moses and Job were here, they would be delivered. They would be the only ones that would be delivered. The idea that they could only save themselves because they were righteous. They they were truly following God. They had been justified by faith. But nothing that they did could possibly save another. Because everything that they gave to God, everything that anyone ever gives to God, is something that's already owed to God. This is something that that Anselm says in in, uh, his book, Why the God-Man. The problem with you being saved from your sins is If you are perfectly obedient to God, you have only rendered to Him what was due. And so then even if, even all of your good works, even if you were to live perfectly from this moment on, so far are you from being able to save another one from their sins. You can't even atone for a single one of your own sins. Because if you're going to give something to God, it has to be, uh, especially if it's going to be a payment for a sin, that's something related to a death, and it has to be something that God wasn't already owed anyway. The problem is, is that you owe God your life. And what can you do even if you, even if you, you give your life? That's simply the, the penalty that you're receiving for the sins in which you've committed. And so there's no way for you to atone even for the smallest of the sins that you've already committed. And there's certainly no way that any normal person, even an angel, would be able to atone for the sins of others. If, if someone was righteous, he would be able to save himself, and yet he cannot save others. The problem is, is that sin puts you in debt to God. And that debt is an infinite debt. It's an infinite debt. And therefore, the debt can only be paid by an infinite person. It can only be paid by an infinite person. The problem is, is that an infinite person cannot suffer and cannot die. And therefore, an infinite person has no ability to actually die on behalf of those uh, that he is coming to atone for. And so you're left in this what seems to be a great impossibility, the only possible way, the only possible way that man can be saved from his sins is if somehow God, the infinite eternal creator of the universe, the fountain of life itself, if God dies, if God dies. That is the only possible way to be saved. We know that's the only possible way. Uh, even just from, from the reasons that were given, but even the Lord Jesus Christ shows us beyond a shadow of a doubt. He comes as the Son of God and r- immediately before he's about to endure the very wrath of God to atone for the sins of his people, he pleads with the Father to have the cup taken away. Now, the Father receives this prayer. If there were another way, would the Father not have allowed that other thing to happen? Would he not have heeded the voice of his Son as he pleads and says, Father, if there, is no, if there is any other way, let it be done. But if not, let your will be done. If there was another way, would the Father not have heeded the voice of his Son and provided for a means of our salvation without the Son of God dying on the cross? But the reality is that all these things were true. The debt really was infinite. It really had to be paid. And it really had to be paid by a representative. And therefore... And therefore, if we were to ask the question, the same one that Anselm asked, why the God man? Why is it the why is it the case that God did come to earth to be born of, of the Virgin Mary? Why is it that he came to do this? What 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 possibly could be such a crucial mission that it could not be given to any other? That it had to be this one way. And the answer is to save his people from their sins. The only possible way that you could be saved from your sins is if God died in your place. And therefore, and therefore God showing the incomprehensible greatness of his mercy and grace did in fact send his son to be born of the Virgin Mary that the infinite debt that you owed might be paid by an infinite person because the infinite person is the one who hung on the tree. He, he became man that the one who is the fountain of all life might be able to die and then came in order to accomplish that death. That, that once we see then the Lord Jesus hanging on that tree, we are in fact beholding in, in a strange way that is beyond comprehension, we are beholding the death of God for the sake of his people. That is what we have with the incarnation. And this is the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ was born so many years ago. This is why we celebrate the Incarnation, not just even at this time of the year, but it's why we always celebrate the Incarnation. There was no possibility of salvation, and there is no possibility of salvation without God himself becoming man. What a wonderful thing it is to think on, brothers and sisters, that this actually did happen, that the costliest, that the costliest of all things you could think of in the whole universe was needed for you to be saved, and God Was willing to give it. He was willing to give his own son. Let may it be that as you think on the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ during this time, your heart would be filled with wonder as you think about the salvation that is yours in Him. Let's pray. Oh Father, how we do thank you for the glory and the wonder of the incarnation how we do thank you for your son the lord jesus who is willing to pay that great penalty for us that penalty that we could never pay that we might that we who are sinners might even become sons of god in him lord help us always all the days of our lives to give true worship to you, to ascribe all glory and honor and praise to you. For Lord, truly you are worthy. You are worthy. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart that through the preached word, your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.